For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. special guest is a really special friend of mine and like new old friends chris constantine Santafonte was a year ahead of me at archbishop keo and a lot of people don't know that chris had a really close relationship with both sister kathy and sister russell and so she's going to talk to us tonight about that experience so welcome chris thank you could you explain before we actually get to the question a little bit about people don't really understand that when Keo opened in 1960s, you were the only class. Can you explain how that worked? We were supposed to pick a school. Of course, you're going forward in your Catholic education. I just had this one school in my mind because we, they were talking about this brand new school being built went over to Cardinal Gibbons to actually take the entrance exam. I remember looking down the hill and seeing like a partial building. We didn't even know what the school was going to be like. I didn't ha- know where it was located until that moment. And I just fell in love with the school that day. I remember thinking I have to be in that school. When I received my acceptance letter, it was one of the I, best moments in my life, actually. I thought, wow, now we'll be going to this brand new school, new area, didn't know anything about Catonsville at the time, but it was just a really good experience for me. Where did you live? I lived, I grew up in Pimlico. I went to St. Ambrose Elementary Parochial School. So we were oddballs out, really. There was four or five of us that went to Keogh or tried, took the entrance exam. The first day of school, I remember there were so many people, so many girls, and the girls knew each other. So we felt strange. Wow, we don't know anybody. We just our small little group. It didn't take very long before we were very comfortable there and very accepted. And I still see probably at least 15 of my the girls that I graduated with in 1969. I still see them mm-hmm. uh, and I still talk to others. So it, it was a real, really close group. And we stayed together all this time. There was just one class, Chris, like just one, just freshmen, not the whole school. Yes, we were the seniors all the way through. We never had anybody for us. Yeah. How many girls do you think were in that first class of yours? I always get confused. I would say close to 200, but don't quote me on that definitely until I check, but I I think it was close to 200. And then the the second year, you were a sophomore. See, some people don't know how the Catholic high school system works. Like. Even the entrance exam is going to be a surprise to a lot of people that you have to take Mm -hmm. them to pay 
to go to a Catholic high school. Second year, you were a sophomore and I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then the third yeah, and year. I didn't know you everybody. then. Yeah, I know. When we first started talking, like a couple, two years ago, I had to look at your picture in the yearbook to remember who you were. Yeah, I know. I and look at us now. Yeah. Yeah, we were always, we actually developed a lot of the different or implemented a lot of different things for the school, like the school song and the emblem. They would really develop that, the ring. So we did a lot of things that were, kept us involved very much in the process of that opening of the school. So now you've told us about how you've gotten the Keo and that's really cool that you were the first class and Gemma, I guess that makes you the second class. Is that correct? So Chris, how did you first come into contact with Sister Kathy? I was in turmoil a lot when I was growing up. I can say this freely. I lived in a very dysfunctional family. I just gravitated towards people who had, I, I had compassion and empathy for others. And I met her, you say met her, but she was my teacher in English class. I believe that was my second year. To be honest, I don't remember. Could have been the first year, but my memory's so bad now. I don't remember if it was the first or second. No, it was the second, at least. I was mesmerized by her. She was extremely, she was in love with love. She was romantic, not with me personally, but it just that, that whole romanticism way of doing things, her reading of the poetry, the Shakespeare. I just loved her class. She was very stern. She didn't take any stuff from us. Not that we were doing that anyway, but all of us were very well behaved in her class because we loved her so much. She just had it together. She made us love what she was teaching. And that I developed a real love for poetry from her. I still write poetry. I don't share it much, but I do have a lot of it over the years and contribute her passion for that, that I developed such a passion for poetry. So I guess what really happened between us, the two of us, she was very intuitive. And I think she felt the turmoil that was emanating from me because I couldn't hide it. I tried to, and for most of my friends didn't realize how bad it was. But she approached me one day and I actually remember, do you remember where I was, Gemma? I was downstairs going towards uh-huh. the cafeteria, down that hallway. And she was coming the opposite direction. And she stopped in her tracks and pointed at me from across. And I remember thinking, oh, dear God, what did I do? Is my skirt not, is it hiked off? We used to get in trouble uh-huh. for crazy things. She pointed at me and then she beckoned me towards her. And I thought, I'm in trouble. I had no idea what she was going to say. And she just said, I want to see you after class today. And I said, well, I have a, I think I had like a math class or something following her class. And she said, I'll write a note for excuse, excuse note. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, number one, I hate math. So that was great. But <laughs> I didn't know what she wanted to talk to me about. And I thought I must really be in trouble, but she can't address this right here in the hallway. So I remember going in her class and being there for English. And then when everybody left, I stayed and she didn't have a class after mine. So I was sitting there just with her and I. And the first thing she said to me was, are you okay? And I remember like it was yesterday, like thinking, dear God, what is she sensing? And am I going to talk to her? Should I talk to her? I remember just thinking to myself, this is absolutely the most natural thing in my life to do that I wanted to talk to her. And I was on a level with her when we discussed my family life and other things that was not like any other. So I felt very comfortable with her knowing she cared about me. I didn't know how much she cared about me until that moment, but I knew she had my best interest at heart. So I continued to tell her my life story. He just can't explain, but when you speak to someone that really has your best interest at heart, they do not, you can feel it. You know that their attention is on you. You know that they're listening to every word you say. And that's what she did. She absolutely blew me away that day. I walked out of there feeling like such a heavy weight off of me. And I I didn't know what to do with that. I had a few friends that I could talk to. 
One of them was in my class, one that I grew up with. Her name is Kitty. Kitty went through a lot of stuff that I went through, and she knew about a lot of it too. I remember telling her sometime after that discussion what I had talked to, talked about with Sister Kathy, and she was like wanting to talk to her. So they, we all generated this discussion group kind of thing, not with all of us together, but individually, if that makes sense. Because Kitty was here with me, which she talked to Kathy about, and I would do the same thing. When my mom was diagnosed terminally, it was the summer before my senior year, and Kitty's mother had been diagnosed two weeks prior to mine. (laughs) So that's coincidence there. So I'm helping her for two weeks, trying to get her through what she knew was coming, and then I find out my mother in the same situation. And Kathy was just wonderful. She was there for us. Um, We were allowed to get out of class whenever we needed each other. I remember uh, one time her coming to the door. I forget what class I was in. And I was allowed to leave the class and go down to the student lounge and sit with Kitty and talk and cry. And so she really developed this way of communication that I never knew before. So it absolutely opened my heart to everybody around me. I attribute all of that to Kathy. I really do. Yeah. And Chris, you really have adopted that same manner with other people. Consider you one of my dearest people right now. I never heard this story before, but I think it also illustrates the magnet that Kathy was to other people who were in trouble especially those who were in trouble at Keogh because of the abuse that was going on. When I first heard, I didn't know about the abuse at the time. I didn't know that until the 90s. But when I first heard Jeannie and Teresa, all of all the girls and Kathy, I felt, my God, there's an angel among you, amongst you, because she was the person. She was the person. I know she sacrificed her life for the girls. I know she did because that's the kind of, person she was, she wanted to make sure we were okay. And that that was what I always go back to. Are you okay? I still hear her voice saying that to me. Are you okay? And I don't think anybody had ever asked me that before, especially a nun. You know, a nun, you do, oh my gosh, are you going to get smacked or beaten up? Or Because that's what happened to me in grammar school. <laughs> a lot of that went on. So I'm looking at this woman who was absolutely beautiful outwardly and finding out how beautiful she was inwardly. It's like that was such a moment to think there was actually somebody in a nun that was capable of being that same person. Her compassion was unbelievable, I can tell you. And when I heard what Jeannie had to say about her and all the girls, I thought they they understood because they saw it. They experienced it too. And I think what makes me the most angry about all of this is not only the abuse, but the fact that she did not do what she was meant to do on this earth. She would have done great things for us, for everyone. I mean, look how many lives she touched in the short amount of time she was here. And how many people and, that absolutely loved her. Right. That's why we're and here, Pam. I mean, that's why we're here. You and Grace. You and I, she was all gravitated towards each tw- other, didn't we? <laughs> yep, she was all of our love for her. You're right. You're right. I think everybody listening is, you're saying it's so poignant. It's just heartbreaking. It is. No, she's not here. And it, the, the reason why she's not here is another thing to, to consider. And it, it's the evil that was infiltrating, I would say, through our school. We had no idea. You're right. Can you talk about your how you came to know Sister Russell, who was Sister Ignatius <laughs> at that time? Yes. Because I know yes. your relationship with her went on beyond high school. Yes. So Russell, Russell was not like Kathy. But she was, she had a warm, she had a warm way about her, but in a different, how, how can I say that? Her mannerisms were not like Kathy, but I could tell because I looked at her eyes and I know sometimes you, you can read people through their eyes and she had a lot of warmth with inside. And she was my algebra teacher, which was a real challenge for her, not for me, but for her. <laughs> she had a lot of patience with me. She would smile at me a lot because that meant she didn't want to say, oh my gosh, 
why aren't you getting this? She was, she was very kind that way, but she would help me after class sometimes, told me what I had to do to help myself to get through this agonizing time that I had in math class. So that's how I first met her. Then she was the cheerleading coach. This is an interesting story. When we were told that we were getting a cheerleading squad together to go over and cheer for the Mount St. Joe boys basketball team, everybody in the school decided to try out for cheerleading. We had lines and lines of people, girls just trying out for this. So in my heart, I knew this is not who I am. I've never had any desire for this. Everybody I knew was doing it. I got in the line with them without having a real desire, to be honest, but I wanted to because everybody else was. Follow the crowd, Chris. So I went out and I tried out. And of course, I didn't make the squad. So she was so gentle trying to tell me. I said, Sister Sister Ignatius, it's fine. I just remember saying her, it's fine. And she said, you know, if you work on um, this or that, I'm thinking, no, it's never going to happen. I'm horrible. I knew that. So it was like, that's fine. Her and I had a really funny relationship that way. During the time I knew her at school, she was always around Kathy. Kathy and her were buddies. So they went everywhere together. I would see Kathy. Of course, I was in the drama club, no doubt, right? We would be backstage and Russell would be back there with us sometimes. She had nothing to do with the drama club, but she loved helping Kathy. And so we had relationships in different level times. And, but I always remember... Cassie being the one that had all the creative ideas and Russell would just implement them for her. She would get things done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Well, anyway, uh, the other part of this is Russell, after Kathy is murdered, sorry. You okay? Yeah. When I saw Russell, she was teaching teaching class, and she brought her students to the Federal Reserve Bank where I was working at the time. And I think I it was maybe 1970. I saw her with the group of kids, and I just ran out and we hugged each other. And the first time I, I saw her since that time, I remember that day saying to her, oh my God, you know, what happened? Why? What? And she just looked at me and she said, I don't know any more than everybody else knows. It wasn't that she was being cold. It was like she just couldn't deal with it. And I was very walking away from her. I just said, said her goodbyes. And I just remember thinking, I don't know what that was about. When you're confused and don't understand I'm very open usually with what I have in my thoughts and I couldn't understand what was happening. But then I was at church, my parish in Eldersburg, and she was there. And I ran into her there years later and we reconnected. And it was like we had this really nice relationship. She decided to sell her house and I helped her with that and I helped her find another home. During that process, I had the opportunity to speak to her one-on-one many times. Every time I would bring it up, she would shut it down. And it was almost like, almost like, I I can't, I don't know. It it wasn't that I felt like she was hiding anything. I always felt like she just couldn't deal with it. And she said, please, I can't talk about that. And my life is what it is now. And this is where I have to go forward. I can't go backwards. And Every single time, and I thought, one day I'm going to break her. I'm thinking in my head, how much more can somebody take from being, didn't badger her, but I did ask her a lot and she would never do it. She never went there. But I know 
it was very hurtful to her, whatever it was, that she held it in. And I don't believe she ever shared it even with her own family, not in depth. I don't believe they ever really knew what she knew. I might, after hearing about the different things and reading about the different things and some of the hurtful things that have gone on, some of the discussions that I see on Facebook and wherever, and I try not to do that because it's overwhelming to me. You know, people are going to speculate whatever they're going to speculate. And I don't know if what I believe is true or not. Just in my heart, I've always felt that if something, if Russell was ever involved in this in any way possible or any way at all, I don't believe it was because she wanted to be. But I could be wrong. And it's, I don't know that for sure, but I have to go with my gut feeling. I know that she was a private person. She didn't share a lot of her personal life to anybody. But I always felt like maybe either she was threatened or she was coerced into doing things or I don't know. But I know she would never harm Kathy. I believe that in my heart. And I believe that she wouldn't deliberately hurt anyone. And that's the only way I can describe that. I've gotten some backlash um, after my video I sent out last year on her behalf, but not much. But when I do, I try to treat it very gently because people don't understand. And I don't have all the answers. No, none of us do. If she was still here, maybe she would still not speak about this. But I do want to go back to something that happened around a week or two before Kathy went missing. It was in October. She was she went missing on November 7th. And maybe the week before Halloween, something like that. I had called Kathy and I asked if I could stop by her apartment. I went over there and Kathy and Russ were there and we had cookies and she made tea and we sat at her little round table in her kitchen and talked. And what I did notice, and at the time, I didn't put too much thought into this, but as things unfolded through the years, of course, it came back to me. But I sat with them and I noticed Russell being very antsy. And she's not normally like that. Russell just doesn't, she didn't engage a lot. She didn't like, uh, she could be in a conversation, but she wasn't engaged like Kathy. Kathy would be in their head for five seconds. Okay. But, and I remember Russ getting up from the table several times and walking out. And I don't know what she was doing. Kathy sat with me the whole time and we talked about what I went over there to tell her was that I was uh, seeing Vince, my husband, because she knew all about him. Because I talked to him, talked about him all the time when I was, when during school. So she was very happy to know that. And I knew she was sharing that experience with me. I noticed Kathy not being like as focused, maybe. And I didn't know what was happening. I was talking to me and smiling and we had a very, very nice conversation. But when I left there, I thought to myself, wow, she's in a really crazy place right now. She doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. No, if she was in a romantic situation or if she just decided that being a nun wasn't what she wanted to do anymore, that she was puzzled about her little life. And so I left there with kind of that thought process that she just didn't answers for herself at the time until later when I found out all the other stuff that went along with this. Originally, I thought, it was a crime of chance. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is I think Marilyn felt the same way, her sister. And knowing the rest of the story, I thought I was going to go crazy thinking about what the police didn't do and how could they report that, oh, she could be, she could have run away. Oh, for heaven's sake. Car, the picture of the car. I never saw the mud on the tires until recently. And thinking, how in the hell, excuse my expression, would you not think that? This woman was abducted. Here, the, the door is wide open. Everything's disheveled inside the car. There's mud all over the tires, and it's parked across the street and in a very weird angle. Why would you not say this was a crime and investigate it right then and there instead of what they treated it as, oh, maybe she just ran away. People do it all the time. No, they don't. And that people don't bring their car back and run away just made no sense to me. And I felt very strongly that the investigation was botched. And we all know that's probably true. And for reasons that we all know about, that they were all involved in it. And so 
they were protecting their own in a sense. So the Catholic Church was protecting their own and the police were protecting their own. So it's definitely something that was almost like a conspiracy to me. To this day, I have a hard time forgiving a lot of that. It's like, I just can't imagine for somebody, somebody to think that they can just destroy a life, take a life because of something that might be uncovered that they're doing that's so damn evil. I can't, it doesn't resonate with me. So it's very upsetting to even talk about that. Yeah. I Um, think most people agree with you, Chris. I also, we found out last week from a person we were interviewing that the car was not processed as a homicide would be. It was processed as a missing person and the car was returned to Russell that night. Did you know that? What? No, I did not. We thought it was impounded and we had a conversation with someone else who's doing a podcast with us that it was processed as a missing person situation. And so the police do not impound it. They don't take it in. And I guess I don't know when or if they even dusted it for fingerprints because it was returned to Russell that night. Oh, my God. How is that? Seriously, I cannot. Seriously, Jen, when I first saw the picture of that car and the real close-up, because I saw a picture in the paper, but it was never like that. I, and I saw the mud on the tires. I'm thinking, right. where the heck did they think she was? She went up to the store and she got mud on her tire, caked up like, and having everything so out of place in her car. And Kathy, the neat. The front seat was broken. The passenger seat was broken. So, yeah, there's a lot of question marks. Can you tell me really quick, why was Sister Russell known as Sister Ignatius? Okay, so years ago when they took their vows, and before they took their vows, actually, when they were postulates, they were to take a saint's name. That was just a very old nun, never changed their names. Some of them kept their saint choice of names. The Sister Kathy was actually Sister Joanita. <laughs> and that came from her parents. Did you know that? Yes, Joseph. yes. Joseph and Anne. That's how she and, ended up. Yeah, Joanita. Joanita. Yep. And um, so when they all changed their name, it was like shocking to some of us. I remember one of, one of the nuns, her name was Sister Edwarda, and she was stern. She was a history teacher, very stern. And she came back with Sister Sally Ann, and I had a hard time with that one. <laughs> <laughs> what, who? Because who was, was that? Russell's uncle. Ignatius yes. was the name of Russell's uncle. Who she absolutely loved. Yeah. He loved that man. And I know people that knew him and knew her from him that have told me over the past 10 years that they remember how much he took care of her. And I've also shared with Jen some weird experiences that I've had. I've always had weird things happen to me in my life. So I'll, I'm going to share this because I think it was pretty significant. The house that I sold Russell and her husband was out in Carroll County. I heard some really not so good news that someone was talking about Russell. And I didn't know how to take it. I, I Like I said, I'm pretty open-minded, but I usually go with my gut. I felt so upset about the, what I heard, the this, this story about her. And that night, I remember praying to her. And I pray to Cassie all the time, by the way. I have a little, I have an angel that's about three foot high that I bought. Reminds me of Kathy. And that even has a bald head when she had her head shaved. So, um, I pray to Kathy and I pray to Russell. And that night, Russell was up. I thought, okay, listen, please do something. Make me understand this. Can you tell me if that was true? Can you send me a sign to tell me it's not, is what I said. At the end of my prayer, in the middle of the night, I had this weird pain in my wrist. And I remember getting up, feeling, you know, when somebody hits your hand with a hammer, you know, that kind of a pain. It was right on my wrist and my thumb. And under my arm, I felt this excruciating, like scratching feel, like like chafing when somebody chafed. It was awful. And 
it woke me up and I said, ow, you know, this is terrible with what's going on. And I got up, checked myself out. There was nothing there and the pain went away. So I stood there for a minute and thought, no, that's, that can't be. I can't be her telling me something. It was on the arm that she had, her shoulder, that she had the tumor. And I went back to bed. And the next morning I got up and I had some text messages. And one of them was from a client that wanted to see a house. And I looked at it and I said, oh, wait a minute. I recognized that address. It was Russell's house that he wanted to see that day that just went on the market that morning. <laughs> it's been sold to another family since they were there. So I didn't keep track of it. But now he wanted to see this house that, was, first of all, something I didn't expect him to want to see because it wasn't what kind of what his criteria was. And when I saw the address, I knew immediately whose house it was. So we did go to see the house that day. I think I freaked my daughter out because she was with me and she walked into the front door immediately said, mom, what was that? And she heard this noise upstairs and I said, it might be rough. She left and went out the front door, but I did hear noises upstairs, just insignificant at the time. I took a video while I was in there and I actually saw, like they call them an orb in the screen porch. So it was just, I don't know how to explain it. I kept thinking, okay. She just sent me a sign. What other things could she do from the spirit world? I don't know. But I just felt like that was a sign that she's telling me that maybe what was said may not have been totally what happened. Maybe there's Uh more to the story. And that's what I was trying to, I was trying to hold on to because I felt there was goodness from her. I felt like there was a lot of, she was Kathy's support system. And I don't think she had the strength, to be honest, that Kathy had. In that respect, but she may have strengths in other ways that I didn't know. Russ and I did committees together at the Board of Education. I was actually in charge of this group when a task force, we were at a we were at a very large meeting one time in separate groups and tables and whatever. And I remember for the first time her ever joking with me. And she walked over to the table and she said, um, to my group. Oh, I see that you put Chris in charge of the statistics. And it was just funny. And when I looked at her and I said, yes, this was my former math teacher who can tell you I shouldn't be. In. <laughs> and so she was joking with me and it was funny. She wasn't trying to insult me. It wasn't that way at all. It was just funny. And I remember after the meeting was over, her and I had a little, little talk and it was, of course, nothing that I can say that she said anything that may brought this up, but I again said something to her that day. I remember because I thought, oh, she's on a different playing field today. Maybe I can talk to her and see what she'll say. And she didn't. She stayed the same all the way through. And I just want to clarify for Shane and the listeners that Russell ultimately died of melanoma in her 50s. And so what Chris was referring to was a tumor that she had Mm -hmm. on her shoulder. Was it the left shoulder, Chris? Yeah, I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, and for those of you that believe in holistic health, Chris and I have always felt like maybe it was that she was holding so much in, your body doesn't Mm -hmm. always cooperate. And that could have been part of that whole, I think it's called psychoneuroimmunology, where you just, it it has to come out some way. So she was like maybe 58 when she died. Yeah. yeah. She died in 2001. She died the day after Maskell died. Correct. And we um, remember her friend Pat calling her and mm-hmm. telling her that he had died. And I remember Pat saying that Russell was, she said, what are you doing, Russ? And Russ said, I'm putting a pie in the oven and I have an oxygen tank on my back. And yeah. Exactly. When Pat told, yeah. When Pat told her, Russ is comment was and he took his secret to the grave that yeah says a lot yeah yeah absolutely yeah she definitely i think held a lot in otherwise too i don't think she shared too much with her private life i don't think she had a bad life i just know that she just didn't talk about things kathy 
Kathy would share things with us, not, nothing that would terrible stories, but mm-hmm. she was so real. I remember the day that we were all behind stage. It was a Saturday afternoon and she, it was hot in the building. Oh my God, it was so hot. And behind stage, it got like somebody had turned the heat up to 100 degrees. And she, it was only a small group of us. And she said, would you girls mind if I take my habit off? I thought I was going to have a anxiety attack. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay, all right. And if, if that has, if you need to do that, that's okay. I'm telling you, she went behind the stage. She took the veil off. She rolled up her blouse, like sleeves nothing revealing. Uh-huh. And she walked out behind that curtain. I still remember thinking, oh my God, how beautiful she is. I knew uh-huh. she was beautiful. But when you saw her hair and her face, like this, she's a real person. She said, oh my God. And I, t- I remember telling her, I think she was like laughing at me, like, stop. And I thought, no, you really are so beautiful. I yeah. she was young. Yeah. It's hard to and believe. Energetic and personable and smart and funny. And she had everything to give. Everything. And what happens? I can't get my head around that ever. I never will. I'll never accept it. For your own benefit, for your own pleasure, whatever you want to label it as, how could you? Take this person from us. How could you? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chris, can you tell me how you first became or how you first got to know Jerry Coop? Yes. Jerry was my religion teacher. Jerry was on the same level I was, and that was very spiritual. We talked about things in his class that I never talked about in religion class before. Therefore, I loved the class. I looked forward to going to that class because it was real. We talked about life. We talked about what to expect and feelings and emotions and things like that, where, you know, before that, we talked about the Baltimore Catechism and we talked about prayer and how you had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And we never talked about these things before. So it was an absolutely fantastic experience for me in my first year, knowing that, wow, there is something else to this. Now I can talk about what I really want to talk about. And He would play Simon and Garfunkel records all the time, and we would sit and analyze them. And they, what we thought, what our impressions were of all of these different lyrics. And I would walk out of there with a sense of well-being, to be honest. I didn't know about his relationship with Kathy. I had no idea, of course. But I never had a one-on-one discussion with Gary until just recently, probably the last three years. The class time was when I took away very good feelings from that class, not knowing anything else that had existed. How did you first come into contact with Joseph Pascal? And did you ever have any interactions with him at the school? Yes, I did. So in his, I don't know what you want to call it, his wisdom, his wisdom was, oh, I can't even talk about this. I, I despise the man. I'm sorry, dear God, if you're listening to me, I know you are. So he decides that, and he tell, and his way of doing things were, was more like the, the dictator. So he went to the administration and told them that he wanted, a, wanted them to allow us to get out of class on certain days to go to confession. So his ultimate plan was 
for the girls to go into confessional and tell him things that were inappropriate, and he would ask inappropriate questions in order to categorize them. And I'm going to say that very coldly. Instead of trying to heal us and help us, he was using the information against us. So I remember my friend and I, Kaki, we were in class together and we were one of the whole group that wanted to get out of class, of course. So we went down to the chapel and we were in line. Kaki and I were giggling. She was telling me a joke. I don't know, remember what it was, but anyway, we were being inappropriate in the chapel. We weren't loud, but just enough to stir him. And the maniac came out of the confessional and I describe it that way because that's what he looked like. He runs out of the confessional and he's blood red, screaming, telling us that we're irreverent and we're going to hell and all these things that I don't remember. All I remember is being extremely shaken. I backed up. There was a one step up to the altar that I was uh, like, I was standing backwards and when he was doing this and I remember almost tripping backwards on that step because I was moving away from him I didn't know if he was going to hit us or grab us or what he was going to do anyway he the weirdest thing that I've ever witnessed in my life was what happened next and that was him transforming he went from this wild maniac into a very composed man face was back to normal color he had this very composed look on his face and he went back into the confessional and i just remember thinking to myself no way in hell am i going in there the man is obviously crazy and something else i don't even know evil the girls that were in line didn't move they stayed in line my friend khaki and i went back to class but she was on the same wavelength i was at that time wait a minute hold it why do we want to go in there and from that day forward, I never got near him again. He, I can't explain. If you've ever seen anyone get so angry that they're out of control to be able to go back into a composed, in a mannerism within seconds, I've never. So that was my one and only time. And I'll say one other time, I should say. There's one other time when he handed me my diploma when we graduated at the cathedral. And here's, an, here's a story with that too, because... I went to a wedding this year at the cathedral and didn't been there for many years. And I was in the back of, in the vestibule and talking to friends and it was pouring. It was raining so hard and we were all like drenched and laughing and just having a nice time. And I stepped into the back of the cathedral and I froze. And all I saw was Masco on that altar. And I seriously... I went into a really weird place. I was sobbing. I was crying so hard. I was sobbing. My husband didn't know what to do with me. So we were sitting in the back pew for about five minutes until I thought, I'm messing this up. This is not good. Here's this beautiful wedding. The people I love that are getting married and the family and all these people are coming in. So I had to excuse myself and go to the ladies room because I had to get composure. It was awful. It was awful. Thinking of him. Handing me my diploma and all the girls in my class got their diploma handed from him was enough to bring me to such a place. I don't know how to describe it. And it really did have me shaken up for quite a while. When I came back from composing myself, this is where I wanted to be that day. I wanted to be at this wedding. I was looking forward to it. I wanted to see my friends and my family. And I remember sitting there focusing on the bridegroom and the priest that was saying the mass and trying to just wash everything else out of my head. And I did. I absolutely, it was a beautiful ceremony. It was absolutely gorgeous. But that moment of seeing him standing there and here I wasn't one that was affected by him in a way that so many were. And then I can imagine, I think, how can these women and men actually get through this? And how do they do that? And how could anybody judge them for not coming forward at the time and accusing them of lying? And I just can't even imagine that. It's not something I could think that anybody should be thinking. My God, the, the sympathetic feelings I have for all of them. I, and I want to help them. That's the other thing. 
I want to help anybody. I want to help in any way I can. If it means a phone call, if it means a letter, it means a card, a visit, whatever it may be. To me, that's what it's all about. I just feel very strongly about the healing process and uh, where some of the survivors are and banding together to be a group of friends and supporters. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. I think Kathy would be telling us right now, let's focus on the healing for the survivors and let's go forward away from that. And I know that I still want to see justice, but my focus really is not there as much as it is when they're, when they're well-being and something that I've been very passionate about. You're a gift to all of us, don't you, Chris? You are. You're a gift to me. You are. All of you We're are. I appreciate that. And your, your energy and all of the women that I've had and men that I've had the opportunity to meet through this or from this, this group of people, I can actually say you've given me so much strength and so much more than you can ever imagine. I think our lives are so rich because of the people that we've had the opportunity to become friends with. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And we keep and going. I, yeah, I actually have a logistics question because I know it's going to come up and people are going to ask mm-hmm. this after they listen to this podcast. And this has nothing to do with what you're talking about right now. But mm-hmm. I just want to clarify with you, Jerry Koob was assigned to Keo the first year it was open, correct? Because mm-hmm. he was a seminarian and he told me that he had to do an internship at a Catholic high school for one year. Yes. And he explained that he had met Kathy at a conference before he even came to Keogh. And he said to her, I know nothing about teaching young women. And she That's said, in my, yeah, come in my classroom and watch. And he said, that's how he learned to teach by watching her. So yeah, uh, the other thing that keeps coming up is people keep asking if he and Maskell knew each other. Maskell was not there that first year. So Jerry told me that their paths may have crossed, but they never actually interacted. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people have questions about that. But Mm -hmm. I just wanted to clarify that according to Jerry Koob, he was gone before Maskell arrived at Keogh. Whether or not that was documented. Yeah. I think that's true. Because I have a hard time remembering, I don't have my transcripts anymore from Keo. Uh-huh. I don't remember what years I had certain classes, but yeah, I don't think Coob was there. Jerry was there with, I don't believe he was. Correct. Correct. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to say or ask? There's one thing I've been, this past week, I have been, and being that it's her 49th year, and we know she was murdered that day, even though it's his day she was missing, we feel she was murdered that day. I, I pulled from my memorabilia the letters or the notes that she gave me on my graduation day. Kitty and I both got notes that day. I don't know if anybody else did, but I still have mine. And, and I actually have Kitty's in my possession at this moment that I need to get back to her. <laughs> I actually took it with me to show Marilyn because Marilyn, I was meeting with her last year, remember, but I had, I've been carrying that note with me all week because of the significance of her holding that note. I know she had it in her hand. Mm -hmm. I know that the words that, that she said were true to how she always felt. And I, I don't share it with many people and I didn't share it during the time frame of all of this. But knowing how try to put her into a place where I don't think anyone will ever realize what a one what such a wonderful person she was and what the world has lost without her in it. And I just want to express that because when I read that note that she and, and it's typed by the way, it's typed and there's errors in it. But it, it brings such peace to me. I know it would bring peace to a lot of people. And I just feel like she she needs to be remembered. And she's like a saint to me. I feel like that's where she is. I don't feel like she's God accepted her in there without a halo and several wings. I think he immediately had her in that category. And I know she looks over us and watches out for us. And I feel like she's been with me all week. Really do. I needed her really this week. And she was with me. 
know, I want that message to go out to everyone to say, do you ever have a need for something in your life to for uplifting reasons or you're someone that you need to pray to? She's the person to pray to. Pray to Cassie and just know that she's there. She's going to intervene for you. And I'm serious when I say that. I tell people that my friends, I tell people all the time, you have issues going on. Everybody does. There's not one of us that doesn't have issues going on. The variety of them changes, but I pray to her. She's going to intervene one way or the other. She will. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 